Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the half of the podcast. What's going on, Brody? Happy Monday. Yes, sir. Uh, it's going to be a late start, but uh, Kev, got some new visuals for you on the on the other side, dude. It's kind of nice. Yeah, man. Shout out to my girl. Gave me her webcam. We were having some weird, I don't know, how would you describe it? Um, clarity issues when we were trying to record on my phone for the last two episodes, but... Isabel came in clutch, man. She gave me her webcam, and I mean, this is a whole lot clearer than my phone's ever been, so I'll take it where I can get it. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I mean, I gotta say, just, you know, I know we've been using Discord for, how long we've we been using Discord? Like, Over a year, a year at this year? point. So, and I mean, really, up until probably, what, like, a week, week and a half ago, through your phone, it was fine, but, no, I think with the webcam, it's definitely an upgrade. Uh, based just off of the fact that you never knew what you were going to get with the phone connection through your iPhone. So, yeah. But honestly, it looks good, and uh, hopefully uh, there's no uh, issues with the webcam moving forward. But no, it's a good look, dude. But uh, I appreciate it. Outside of that, Kev, we got a lot to get to. Obviously, the NBA playoffs are in full swing. Uh, we're transitioning We're transitioning. Excuse me, into the second round of the playoffs. As of right now, obviously, you guys will know the result uh, going into Tuesday morning and so on. Uh, the Suns and Nuggets are already in Game 2 of their series. Uh, but some of these series are, are only through Game 1. And with the Warriors and the Lakers, they haven't even started their Game 1. Uh, that will take place on Tuesday night. So uh, we'll have a lot to get to. We'll focus on some of the series that have already begun. Uh, we'll do some previews of some series like the Warriors and the Lakers. But outside of that, it's pretty much just going to be all NBA related. I'm just going to go down in order with the agenda that we have on the slate. Uh, we will go over Steph's 50-point monstrous game from Game 7 against the Sacramento Kings this past weekend. And we'll kind of tie that in with what the Warriors can use as motivation from that series to go into the Lakers series that starts on Tuesday night. After that, we'll just do a Warriors and Lakers preview. Kevin and I will give our thoughts on who we think is going to win that series. After that, we'll kick it to the Eastern Conference. The 76ers and excuse me, the 76ers and the Celtics finished up their game one matchup on Monday night. The 76ers go into Boston, steal a huge road game. Despite not having Joel Embiid in the lineup, James Harden pops off for 45 points. It was an absolutely phenomenal performance from James Harden. Uh, I only got to catch the tail end of that game. So, Kev's going to have to kind of carry the load on that one because I only really caught the last 
two to three minutes of the game. So I'm going to lean on Kev's expertise on that one. After that, we'll kick it to the Knicks and Heat series. Uh, we will give a quick Game 2 preview of uh, the Knicks and the Heat. Game 2 is going to take place in the Garden. Uh, we will reflect a little bit on Game 1. Uh, the Heat were able to get a huge road win in the Garden against the Knicks. The only thing that comes with that Heat win was Jimmy Butler did roll his ankle. It was a pretty significant roll of the ankle. Uh, we'll see how much of a factor it is going into Game 2, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy's going to be 75-80% to 80% for the rest of the series. And it's going to depend on how good that Heat training staff is to get Jimmy's ankle right for the rest of the series. And then after that, we'll pretty much round out the episode with where the Suns and Nuggets are currently. Uh, right now, they are playing game two, and probably by the time that we reach that segment, that game could be finishing up, so maybe we might give a quick recap of game two. Uh, but as it stands right now, the Nuggets are up 1-0 in that series after winning game one at home, and we'll see how game two uh, is dictated once we reach that point. But, Kev, first things first, man. We got to go over this game seven performance that Steph Curry displayed this past weekend. Uh, if you guys remember, um, going into this weekend, there was a huge game seven matchup taking place in Sacramento between the Kings and the Warriors. That series was tied three games apiece. And despite the fact that the Warriors have had road woes the entire season, they were able to get a huge win to keep their playoff push alive or to keep their playoff run alive, excuse me, by getting a huge road win in game seven. And it really came off the back of Steph Curry, who dropped 50 points in game seven. It is now an NBA record in regards to the most amount of points scored in a playoff game seven. It was really, I, I think there's a couple players tied. There were a couple players tied at 48 yeah, points. Like 48, I think it was Durant and, and Barkley, Elijah Wan, something like that. Yeah, and, and now Steph has that record solely by himself uh, by getting 50 points. And the Kings had no answer for him whatsoever. He took over the game, and it's Steph Curry. He's 35 years old, but he's showing no signs of slowing down whatsoever. And we'll see what the Warriors can do with that motivation from winning that series against the Kings as they transition into the second round of the playoffs when they go up against the Lakers on Tuesday. So, Kev, let me get this one to you, man. First of all, let me get your thoughts on what Steph did in Game 7 against the, King, against the Kings, dropping 50 points. And then what do you think that performance with Steph dropping 50 points can lead the Warriors to do when they go up against the Lakers in the second round of the playoffs? I mean, we have to start this with the conversation that I believe Steph, Draymond, and a couple of other Warriors players had via text after they had lost game six at home. I believe they were both, I mean, by both of them, I mean, Draymond and Steph had texted one another or in the group chat that, you know, like they couldn't sleep. The loss was really getting to them. And then, you know, like Steph had sent a group message or had like a speech or voice recording, whatever the case may be, to where... He motivated the entire Warriors players and the entire coaching staff by just saying, like, we're going to find a way to win. If you don't have the emotion behind it, if you don't have the belief, if you have doubt, don't get on the bus. Um, Draymond said that Steph is not a very vocal person. He is not um, that vocal leader. That's normally him. That's normally Andre Iguodala. And uh, 
Draymond said when when Steph speaks up, everybody listens. And that is a perfect example of if someone's going to step up, it was going to be him. And Draymond knew it was coming. He said it. He didn't know it was going to be 50. But he knew that Steph was going to do something special. And it started early on. Steph just had it going. I mean, I believe he had double-digit points in every quarter. Or, excuse me. In every quarter played. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, granted, he didn't have the most efficient stat line, although he did shoot over 50%. He took 38 shots to get those 50 points. But when you talk about dropping a 50 ball in a game seven to go to the next round, I understand it's the first round. I understand Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs in 17 years. I understand that they're playing a bunch of inexperienced players. But hostile environment, one of the worst road teams in the NBA, your, your veteran leader, your four-time champion, your, your two-time MVP, he's 35 years of age. He's got a lot of mileage on him. For him to come out and put on this performance when everybody else seemed to be struggling, outside of Kavon Looney going for 11 and 21, um, Clay didn't have the greatest uh, shooting night. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins didn't have the greatest shooting night. For whatever reason, you know, Jordan Poole has been a no-show relatively this entire series. And there's been some friction on the sideline between him and Draymond Green, as you can see as the season has progressed, but that's neither here nor there. Steph had to step up. There was no choice. It was either going to be Steph or no one because the way that they were playing um, until later in that third quarter, I really didn't believe that the, the Warriors can keep this level of play up. And then Steph pops off and goes for 16 in the fourth. How can you stop a man that is, a, as, that is as determined as him? How do you find a way to slow somebody down that sees the ball go in as frequently as he does, got into the rhythm that he did, and at, at whatever point it was in that third quarter where he mentally, it, 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 the switch was just flipped, and it became unguardable. I mean, that was one of the greatest performances that I myself have ever seen in a playoff setting. I, I know people talk about Michael Jordan scoring 63. You know, obviously, we just saw Jimmy Butler go for 56 the other day, and we've seen so many triple doubles in the postseason. It's more so of game on the line, team wasn't doing as well as they wanted, worst road team, first round, nobody expected the Warriors to win this, Steph put the team on his back and he said, I got it. That is why you pay people the big bucks, that is why you call Steph Curry one of the greatest players of all time, and the conversation for being better than Magic Johnson has surfaced again, especially because this wasn't a Game 7. But again, I will preview that this was the first round. If this was the Western Conference Finals, the NBA Finals, Game 7, whole different conversation. But again, that conversation is neither here nor there. Steph Curry and what he means to the Golden State Warriors is unexplainable, incomprehensible. I mean, the amount of adjectives that I can go about using are truly endless, but you get what I'm saying. He stepped up when, when, when the team needed him the most. And this is exactly the result that they needed. Now, in terms of what is going to be coming ahead, this is going to be a juggernaut in and of itself with the LA Lakers. But I mean, Kyle, I know that you had asked me specifically what I thought about his 50-point barrage, 50-point performance. I got to hear your side because I didn't get to see a lot of this game. I was kind of out and about. And I mean, like I was tuning in here and again when I could. Saw the highlights this morning. But man, when I woke up today, all I saw on Twitter was that this, this, this man just popped off. And I, what did you think for someone that got to see this game? Well, for me, it was kind of similar to what you just laid out. Somebody had to step up for the Warriors to get them this huge road win to keep their playoff stretch alive. And he was that guy. I mean, when you drop 50 points and now he's the sole 
record holder for the most amount of points scored in a game seven in the playoffs. I mean, it's indicative of that. And Kev, you could tell that he knew what was on the line because he took a high volume of shots compared to what he typically puts up in an average game. Kev, I don't have the box score in front of me, but if I had to guess just based off of the amount of shots that he had, it was probably somewhere around 35 shots. Because usually he only takes about 20 of 38. 20. So those are Kobe numbers. Yeah. Kobe would be very proud with what Steph did as far as the amount of shots that he was taking. And Kev, I think for me, the reason why Steph was really at the forefront with the amount of shot taking that the Warriors were experiencing was because Clay did not have a good game. Jordan Poole did not have a good game. Andrew Wiggins did not have a good game. So when your three other shooters are not hitting their shots consistently, you got to pick up the slack somewhere. And Steph was there to do that. But I'm going to be honest with you, Kev. I know a lot of people are paying attention to what Steph did, and it definitely deserves a lot of recognition because 50 points in a game seven, that just speaks for itself. But to me, one of the unsung heroes in this game, and it's somewhat tied into what Steph was doing, was Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney, with his 21 rebounds, gave the Warriors second, sometimes even third and fourth chance opportunities to put points up on the board. And Steph definitely cashed in on some of those second chance and even third chance opportunities. And don't get me wrong, what Steph did was demoralizing to the Kings. But I think Kevon Looney getting those offensive rebounds was critical because I think it got to the point where I think psychologically the Kings knew that they couldn't win the rebounding side of things in that game, especially in the third and fourth quarter because Kevin halftime, I believe the Kings were up two points at half. It was like 56 to 54, somewhere around that uh, point mark. And then, you know, the Warriors have always been known to be a great third quarter team. They played to, to that once again, and the Kings really just couldn't knock down shots consistently. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that psychologically, Kevon Looney was Kevon Looney was just doing it to them on the offensive glass. I think the Warriors in the third quarter had 13 offensive rebounds. You know, typically when you see that type of rebounding total on the offensive glass, you would see that in a game, not just in a quarter. With the Warriors getting 13 offensive rebounds in the third quarter alone, that was huge for them. And going into the fourth, it just Steph just put it on them. You know, and once again, just the Kings had no answer. They couldn't knock down shots consistently. And, you know, that's all she wrote. Warriors won by 20 points. They won by 120 to 100. So this game was an absolute runaway in the second half. And, you know, going into the Lakers series in the second round, you got some motivation. You know, granted, you got pushed to seven games by the Kings, and the Kings are definitely an up-and-coming team. They're definitely young, and I think their playoff inexperience showed in that series. But now you're going up against the Lakers, who have won an NBA championship recently in 2020. LeBron has been to, what, 10 NBA Finals at this point in his career. Uh, Anthony Davis uh, went to an NBA Finals a couple years ago, so he has the playoff experience at his side. I think when it comes to the Warriors, some of the things that they got away with earlier in the series, I don't know if they'll necessarily be able to have that same luxury going against the Lakers because the Lakers defensively have been playing very solid. That Game 6 performance that the Lakers had against Memphis was 
amazing as far as I see it because they held the Grizzlies to under 100 points and won that game six by 40 points. So the Warriors really need to make sure that they're knocking down shots consistently, that they're getting favorable matchups to get some space. And they better hope that guys like Jordan Poole step up because if they don't, the Lakers could give them some real trouble. The Lakers can definitely score on the other end of the court. But overall, I think when it comes to what Steph did, it's a legendary performance. Uh, it's going to go down in the history books as one of the greatest playoff performances that we've ever seen. And we'll see if they can carry that momentum going in, into the Lakers series in the second round. But overall, just a great performance from Steph. And I think there's a very good chance that he could keep up those type of performances. Maybe not to the same degree against the Lakers when that series starts on Tuesday. It's going to be one... I don't want to say for the history books because we have no idea what teams are going to come out. Um, obviously, like we both said, both superstars are older in age. And I mean, obviously, you know, Golden State's coming off a grueling series. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't an easy one for the Lakers as well. There were some games where they were tested and they were challenged. So I'm not, again, I'm not going to sit here and say that they swept through. They've had some rest, you know, like maybe the Lakers had an extra day or two, but this is going to be tough. But thankfully, for the Warriors sake, well, and yeah, I would say for the Warriors' sake, because L.A. had to travel back and forth to Memphis for a few games. The Warriors have stood in California the entire postseason. They're going to continue to do so. Those road trips road trips, are not as difficult because they can probably bust to Los Angeles or take a quick jet, whichever like, that may be. I, th I think they'll probably just take a quick charter. It's probably about a 45-minute to an hour-long flight. I mean, it's a night and day difference from what the Lakers were doing when you know, you're going across multiple time zones from L.A., to Memphis. And I think when it comes to those time changes, I think that first initial day when they get there, it's probably more impactful. But, you know, when you're in a six to seven game series and, you know, you're taking those charters across multiple time zones, that jet lag can get taxing. to you a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it definitely played a factor in game five for the Lakers because the Lakers were just absolutely flat in Memphis for that game five. And then they looked like they had the wind at their sails in game six by winning by 40 points, which was just nuts. I don't think anybody expected the Lakers to do that to Memphis. In, no, in Dylan six. Brooks expected it, bro. Come on now. He, he said, give me 40. 40. Get they your ass 40. by 40. Dylan yep. Brooks, a whole clown. I'm not giving him any more media attention. But Kyle, since this is your team, you made it to the second round, despite our predictions, despite the early narrative of the season with you guys starting two and nine, two and 10, whatever it was. It was bad. You're going up against... The Stephen Curry, after the performance that he just had, what are your thoughts on how this series is going to play out for you guys? I think this is going to be a huge test for the Lakers. When I look back at what the Lakers did to the Grizzlies, I was genuinely surprised at how effective that they were in that series. And I really think, looking back to that Memphis series, I think winning that first road game for them was absolutely critical because they were able to win their two home games go up 3-1 in that series and really put all the pressure on Memphis to get back into that series. Now, when it comes to this series between the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, I think it's going to have to be a similar type of mindset. They're going to have to go up to San Francisco, go up to the Chase Center, and definitely steal one of these road, uh, road games. Because if they're in a situation where they go down 2-0 in the series right off rip, there's a very good chance that Golden State can go on the road. Granted, I know that Golden State hasn't 
been the greatest road team this year. But Golden State showed that they can win road games when the pressure is on the line. And they did it twice against the Kings. Now, granted, the playoff inexperience that Sacramento had is not necessarily the same compared to the Lakers because the Lakers have plenty of playoff experience with LeBron James leading the way and Anthony Davis. But when it comes to the rest of the Lakers squad here, there's definitely going to be some playoff inexperience that guys are going to have to adjust to, especially you know going into the second round of the playoffs. I think this series is going to be very competitive, though, because when I look at what the Lakers can present against the Warriors, the Warriors, I think, are going to have a very difficult time slowing down Anthony Davis. Because when you look at Jaron Jackson Jr., Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And he had a very difficult time guarding AD because there were multiple games where Anthony Davis popped off and was one of the primary offensive forces for the Lakers. When it comes to what Kevon Looney presents AD, if Kevon Looney and Draymond Green are not giving AD fits offensively, AD can have a very successful second round playoff series as far as I see it. And you know when it goes to the Lakers, I think this is going to have to be a similar type of performance that we saw from their role players against the Grizzlies because their role players were absolutely critical. You saw Rory Hachimura have some great games. Austin Reeves had some highlight moment, had some highlight moments. D'Angelo Russell was absolutely dynamite in that game six win where he dropped 31 points against the Grizzlies. The Lakers are going to have to get these types of performances consistently against the Warriors because the Warriors can put up 115 to 120 points. And if the Lakers aren't knocking down their shots, you're going to see some of these games and the Laker, uh, Lakers losses. When it comes to Golden State, Golden State is going to have to get more contributions from just Steph and Clay, Because Steph was absolutely phenomenal in Game 7, dropped 50 points. But the rest of the team relatively struggled outside of Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney was really their second best player behind Steph in that Game 7 performance. So they're going to have to get consistent performance from Klay Thompson. I thought Klay was pretty consistent throughout that series against Sacramento, except for Game 7. He, he relatively struggled. And they're going to have to get huge performances from Jordan Poole, which Kev was talking about this earlier. Jordan Poole has essentially been a no-show for Golden State in the playoffs so far. They cannot allow that to continue going up against the Lakers because if the Lakers are able to get Jordan Poole in a funk once again in this series, the Warriors are going to have a difficult time scoring when it's really just Steph, Clay, and then maybe Andrew Wiggins as your primary scorers. So overall, I, I do expect this series to be somewhere around six to seven games. It has the potential to go seven. But if I'm looking at the state of things right now, I think the better team so far has been the Lakers uh, than Golden State. Golden State was really pushed in that Sacramento series. And depending on you know their adjustment from going to the first round to the second round, I do think the Lakers have a slight advantage over Golden State. But I think it's really dependent on whether or not the Lakers can get one of those road wins within the first two games of the series. If they're able to do that, I think the Lakers have the upper hand in this series. So as far as I see this series playing out, I'm going to favor the Lakers. I'm going to say they're going to win this series in either six or seven games could be very competitive. This does renew the Steph-LeBron rivalry once again. Uh, it's just crazy that both of these guys are going head-to-head -head 
in the Western Conference. Usually we see these guys go at it in the NBA Finals. But overall, I spent a very good series. This is definitely going to be one of the highlighted series of the second round. But I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say the Lakers win this series in six to seven games. That's just how I see it. It's going to be a great series. I have no doubt about that. I saw some tweets today where Laker fans were like, you know, like, we're not De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis. And then like a Warriors fan quote tweeted it and said, we're not John Morant and Dylan Brooks. So I laughed pretty hard. But at the same time, both teams have pros and cons, struggles, benefits, matchups favorable. But I think the Lakers will take this series. And here's why. I think they're going to do similarly what they did to John Morant. They're going to probably put Vanderbilt to chase Steph around as long as they possibly can. I believe that because of the depth of the Lakers bench, which is something I never thought I would say until that trade happened, to where Rui, Schroeder, I know Reeves isn't on the bench, but he's not someone that would normally contribute. But someone like Austin Reeves, they are going to have to score anywhere from 15 to 20 points on a regular basis between each of them. Because... You have to account for if Steph's having an off night, Clay's going to be there. If Clay's having an off night, hopefully Jordan Poole will get some favorable matchups. Andrew Wiggins is shown to contribute. The matchup to watch for me isn't Vanderbilt and Steph. To me, it's easily going to be Anthony Davis and Kevon Looney. If Anthony Davis is held ineffective, if he is going to have one of those games where he has single digit points or an inefficient night from the field, I think that the Warriors have an advantage in certain settings, but again, you still have to you still have to equate for LeBron James. I don't believe anybody on the Warriors can guard him. If LeBron James puts his head his head down and gets Draymond Green into foul trouble or Andrew Wiggins, this is going to be a very long series, or should I say, a very quick series for the Lakers because we already know Draymond and LeBron have their history. We know that Draymond Green is going to be someone that's going to run his mouth. We know Draymond's going to be very physical. And the refs are, were quick to suspend him for one of those games because of his previous history, because of his prior engagements, whatever the case may be. So if things get chippy quickly in this series, don't be surprised if Draymond Green is tossed, if he fouls out in a couple of these games. Because again, the Lakers know the key to winning this game is getting Kevon Looney and Draymond Green off the floor. Anthony Davis will do what he needs to do in his matchups. Anthony Davis is also probably one of the best perimeter, excuse me, one of the best interior defenders thus far in the postseason. I believe he had 26 blocks, which is a, a franchise record for the Lakers, which surpassed Shaq. Uh, so he is somebody that is very assertive at the rim. Um, and for the Warriors, their key to success is, like I said, man, those role players have to step up. Jordan Poole cannot have single-digit performances and inefficient nights from the field. Stephen Curry cannot be putting up 30 to 35 shots a game. Draymond Green needs to be on the floor and contributing in all the ways that he normally does, whether that is a few steals, a few blocks, a couple rebounds, some assists, maybe getting double-digit points on a regular basis. I don't know. But Klay Thompson going 4 of 19, unacceptable. Andrew Wiggins shooting as inefficiently as he did, cannot happen. Will there be bad nights? 100%. But again, I just think that the depth that the Lakers have, especially if D'Angelo Russell gets it going, heaven forbid, D'Lo starts getting going and the ice in his veins starts to starts to get flowing do you got it's like you got to pick a three-headed monster do you go after and, and and try to you know do you try to pressure d'angelo russell off the dribble and force him to kick that out if he kicks it out do you have to rely on anthony davis on the block if lebron james is hitting jump shots and attacking the rim what, what are you supposed to do here i think you let lebron do what he does and you got to let the role players beat you you cannot let lebron james have one of those days where he's got 28 nine you can't have him go for 40 it just, it, it's 
to me, it's this is what I'm talking about. The matchup is very conflicting, and I know I just contradicted myself. I'd rather give LeBron James those jump shots. I'd rather give him those open looks because once he gets his head down and he starts running, you got to pray for whoever's guarding him and standing in front of that rim because he showed in that Memphis series he was not scared to attack the paint. He did not care who was there. And, I mean, obviously, that, that 2020 game that he had in game four, was it, Kyle? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I believe it was game four. I think I think it was game four. Regardless, whichever game it was, uh, you can see that he's still very active on the on the glass as well. So LeBron James is reinventing himself yet again and showing that he doesn't need to necessarily go out there and give you what he did in the 2015-2016 finals when he was averaging 38-9, 36-8-9, whatever the stat line was, which was just ridiculous. Um, LeBron is still LeBron James. And again, I'm probably going to go with the Lakers in six, not to discredit what the Warriors are and what they've done and what they've accomplished. But again, when you talk about what each team brings to the table, if Steph's not going for 40 or 50 points, I don't necessarily know how they're going to keep up, especially if their bigs get into foul trouble. But again, I got the, the, I got the Lakers in six, and I think that they're going to advance to the Western Conference Finals. And for me, I could still see a scenario. I could see multiple scenarios where Golden State advances to the Western Conference Finals. Oh, yeah. Uh, simply just because, you know, we don't know if the Lakers role players are going to step up like they did in that first round series against Memphis when they go up against Golden State. Because, Kev, this was something very interesting watching the Lakers in that first round series. It didn't feel like LeBron was head honcho in that series. It mostly felt like Anthony Davis and guys like Austin Reeves and Rory Hachimura. Guys like that stepped up and I think finally were able to shoulder a lot of pressure off of LeBron's back. And LeBron, I'm not saying that he's a role player with the way that the Lakers roster was set up, but you didn't need LeBron to go God mode the entire series. And I actually think that favors LeBron a little bit more because he didn't have to spend 46 minutes out there on the court every single game. He could actually afford some time to be able to Get some rest on the bench. And there not were a be... couple games he had forty plus minutes. I think the OT I'm not game like... he played forty five, which was nuts. Yeah, but that, but that's an OT game. I, I'm looking at like where there were games when he was playing with Cleveland, where he was basically out there on the court the entire time. He'd only get 30, 45 seconds of. He can't have that rest. anymore. No, no, no. Not gonna be able to last anymore. And Mm-mm. LeBron's what thirty eight years old at this point. Yeah, the guy's got twenty years of the NBA. I mean, at some point, I'm glad that the Lakers were able to, you know, make that trade and take some pressure off of LeBron, especially with, you know, 38-year-old legs. I imagine that recovery process for him is a tricky one, you know, playing 35, 40 minutes consistently. But, you know, when it comes to, to me, this is going to come down to which shooters are going to show up with the role players for each team. Is it going to be Golden State? Is it going to be the Lakers? Because, you know, you look at the Warriors, obviously everybody's focused on Steph, but can Clay be consistent like he was pretty much through the first five games of that Sacramento series? Can Andrew Wiggins put up consistently 15 to 20 points? Can Jordan Poole get out of that funk and make something of himself in this series and become a primary factor. And I will say this, Kev, when it comes to some of their bench players like DiVincenzo and, and Gary Payton II, 
going to have to see a little bit more consistency. Because, I mean, we've already talked about this, but you know, when the Kings push you to seven games, there's a little bit of concern that the bottom end of the roster is not stepping up and making contributions like they should. Because it really seems, mm-hmm. it seems very top-heavy with the Warriors. And you juxtapose that with the Lakers. The Lakers were getting contributions from everybody in that first-round matchup against the Grizzlies. And there's no guarantee of what the Lakers experienced against the Grizzlies is going to continue against the Warriors. The Warriors may just burn past them because the Warriors are a relatively younger team. Well, I can't even say that anymore, to be honest with you. After that Lakers trade, the Lakers did get relatively younger. So, overall, we'll see. But I think I have to sneeze, but I'm actually good. I thought I had to sneeze, right. but I'm good. That's a perfect opportunity. That's 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 to sneeze and it's gonna be it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun series on the less though. So but either way, I, I got the Lakers winning this series, but there's a very good chance that Golden State can win that series too. I'm just betting more times than not the Lakers uh would advance. That's all I see it as. So what do but, we have next? We got the Sixers, so, right? I think. Yep. Yep. Uh we got the 76ers and the Celtics. So uh, really, just to continue the second round matchups, uh, we'll talk about a series that is already ongoing, and that is going to be the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics. 76ers go on the road in, I guess, what you would consider an upset, knowing that Joel Embiid was not playing for the 76ers in this game. He's still recovering from a knee sprain that he sustained in the first round against the Brooklyn Nets, but didn't slow down the 76ers whatsoever. They win by the score of 119 to 115. It was a four-point road win for the 76ers. They steal one at the Garden. At the Boston Garden, I should say. I know. Whenever I throw the word Garden. TD Garden, yeah. Um, And really, it was led by James Harden. James Harden dropped 45 points. I believe that tied his playoff career high in points. I think the last time he did some type of performance like that was back in Houston. I think it was 2016 he... 2015, 2016, whichever one. Yeah. uh, Really, uh, James Harden turned back the clock in this game uh, against the Celtics. And being 1-0 up in the series, that's a huge huge start for Philadelphia moving forward. And guys, this is mostly going to be led by Kevin. I'm going to say, not not really going to say that much about the game because I really only caught the last couple minutes of it. Um you know, from what I saw, James Harden hit probably the most critical shot of the game, hitting what ended up be, being the game-winning three-point shot, with the three that eventually led them to take the lead uh, by two points with about what? He hit that shot with about eight seconds left eight in the fourth quarter? Eight seconds to go, bro, and he was blanketed too. That was yeah, a that, tough shot. Yeah, and just drained it like it was nothing. So, overall, great game. Kev, I'm just going to kick this one to you. What are your thoughts about the 76ers going on the road into Boston and getting a huge road win to start the series? I mean, I think that speaks a lot about the team in general, right? Because obviously, like you and myself, we all thought that this was going to be an easy win for Boston because the potential MVP top scorer in the league was not available due to injury yet again in the postseason. James Harden is obviously not what he once was. At least that's what, again, we all thought prior to the... uh, prior to the 45-point performance. And obviously, Jalen Brown and, and, and Jason Tatum were, were firing on all cylinders. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Jalen had, 
I have the box go right here. I'm sitting here trying to go off of memory again. Jalen had 23 and Jason had 39. You can't really ask too much from your superstars. And then your sixth man of the year goes for 20 points as well. It just it ended up being late game miscues. I think Philly ended the game on like a 12 to 2, 12 to 4 run or something of the sort. And it was led by James Harden, those crazy shots he was hitting throughout the entire game. I mean, he was 17 to 30 from the field, six assists. And then you had contributions from Maxi, had contributions from Tobias Harris, and so on and so forth. But overall, this game was back and forth the whole way through. It was very, very entertaining. I was at one point thinking that Philly may take over, but then they made some mistakes in the fourth quarter where there was some bad shot selection. Uh, Maxi was 10 of 24 from the field. There were some turnovers late. Uh, P.J. Tucker had a uh, an, uh, an inappropriate shot to where he wasn't ejected from the game, I guess because it looked accidental, but I mean, it was kind of suspect for me uh, to where he hit Jason Tatum in the uh, in the privates. So you're kind of looking at it like, uh, is P.J. going to get ejected? Because obviously we saw Dylan Brooks do the same thing to LeBron James and blah, 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 blah. So... I swore the ejection was coming. I was actually texting to you know a group of my friends. You know, shout out to Ducky and Sitch. Ducky is a uh, Ducky's a Celtics fan, and Sitch is a, a, a Philly fan. So we were all texting back and forth throughout that game. Man, I swore PJ was gone. I don't know why. In my mind, I was like, we saw ejections for less, so this has definitely got to be. And it wasn't. And I guess maybe PJ staying on the floor kept them going. But Marcus Smart went on a run of his own. I think he went like a six zero run by himself. That was kind of crazy. Al Horford was getting some key rebounds. Joel Embiid's presence was definitely missed because there were some instances to where Boston was just abusing them in the paint. Boston just absolutely annihilated them. I think they were plus 20, if not more, uh, in the total of the game. Or should I say, in the longevity of the game, Boston scored more points in the paint than Philadelphia. And those offensive rebounds were felt. So if I'm looking at this from an overall perspective... I truthfully and honestly don't know how James Harden was able to turn those clocks back as efficiently as he did, but he did it. Um, Joel's status for game two supposedly is that he could be available, but again, we're not going to see um, the level of, I guess, injury, the significance of the injury. There you go. Of of that knee with Joel is, is still yet to be determined, so we'll kind of play that one by ear. But the fact that they walked in the TD Garden, they found a way to keep it going, um, and they I mean, they got the upset without their, their best player. It's crazy to me, but it's not like Boston didn't step up. It's not like their best players didn't show up again. It just, again, ill-timed turnovers, bad shot selection, whatever it is you want to, whatever it is you want to chalk it up to, Boston just could not get it done. I mean, Marcus Smart had six turnovers, unfortunately. So Boston will 100% bounce back. We will see what happens. I do expect Jalen Brown to have a better game and him for, for him and Jason to go off. And by better game, I mean 30, because I think they have one loss in their time together that they've ever had when they both score over 30 points. So Jalen was 8 for 10, but he only had 23. So we'll see if the rumor still is accurate. We'll see if the statistic is still right. But I'm going to definitely go out there and say that, you know, Philly stunned the world. I don't think many of us expected it. Shout out to James Harden, somebody that I despise. I don't like him as a basketball player. I don't think what he does on the court is entertaining. I think it's just very boring. He's not the originator, but somebody that continued to reinforce isolation basketball. And it panned out for him today, man. 45 points. So kudos to him. And we'll see if they could uh, keep it up in game two. Yeah, I mean, based from what I saw, I only caught the tail end of the game. The fact that James Harden was able to hit that step back three and just drain that with pretty good defensive pressure. Uh, He stepped up at the most critical part of the game and he executed 
And, you know, just kind of looking at the, the box score, it's pretty much what I'm using as a reference uh, from this game. The one stat that really pops out to me was the turnover differential. Boston had 16 turnovers. Philly only had six. When you look at really the rest of the box score here, it's pretty much even across the board. Uh, Philly hit all their free throws. Boston only missed one. Boston shot damn near 60% from the field. I think they shot 58% in this game. And the three-pointers, there was a little bit of a difference. Uh, Philly was a little bit better behind the three-point line uh, than Boston. But, I mean, as far as the, the rebounding goes... You know, Boston did get 38 rebounds in this game compared to Philly's 28, but the offensive glass was actually the same. They were both tied at, at eight. But yeah, just looking at the, the main difference for, for Boston was the turnovers. I think if they had slashed their tur turnovers in half, more than likely they win this game. But, you know, the biggest thing for me was the fact that the 76ers, without Joel Embiid, go on the road and get a huge road win to put them up 1-0 in the series. Now, depending on what Joel's status is going into game two, Kev, I think it could really only be described as he's questionable. There's a possibility that he could play. But they at least showed to me that even not having Joel in the lineup, they can go out there and get a big-time win on the road. Now, if Joel plays, I think there's a very good chance that they could go out there and win game two. But there's a very good chance that Boston rebounds and they respond by winning that game to tie up the series 1-1 uh, apiece. But as far as I see it, when it comes to Philly, Philly accomplished a goal. Stole one from Boston in the first two games. If they could steal another one, that would be absolutely huge with game three taking place in Philly. But overall, you know, the fact that they were able to get this game one on their side got to give them credit and really i think you got to give a lot of credit to james james had to be the guy at the forefront joel not in the lineup he stepped up with flying colors i think he was 17 of 30 in this game yep and hit the most critical shot that needed to be made so we'll see what happens going into game two i'm expecting boston to respond in a pretty significant way uh knowing that this was a game that honestly i think it got away from them because they were up going into halftime and I think if they look back at this game, if they look at the film, the turnovers are going to stand out as far as I see it. So going into game two, I say offensively, they really don't have to change much. Maybe make some slight adjustments here and there with some with you know getting the right guy offensively uh, when you're going up against them defensively. But overall, I think if they just limit their turnovers and they knock down you know somewhere around fifty to fifty five percent, I think it will serve them well going into game two. It's going to be a good series. The fact that this went back and forth without Joel just leads me to believe that this is just going to get that much more physical throughout the remainder of this series. And, I mean, both teams are, are very, very good offensively. Obviously, you know, Boston is, I think, the only team that is top three in offensive and defensive efficiency in the playoffs, which is just absolutely incredible. So for James Harden to have a game like this, a one-person, a one-man show performance... I would consider it not necessarily to be an outlier, but I don't expect it to be consistent throughout this mm -hmm. playoff run, especially when Joel returns and, you know, he's got to get his shots up. He's got to get his specific looks. So we'll see what happens, but this is yeah. definitely going to be a series to monitor. I, I think just one thing to mention before we move into the Heat and Knicks series is when it does come to Joel, if he's able to play 
in this series? Just how viable is he going to be? Now, for me, this knee sprain is no joke. And when he comes back into the lineup, is he going to be at 80 to 85%? Probably I think not. he's able to hit that threshold. That may serve Philly well, but knee sprains are tough, man. And I mean, even Kawhi's torn meniscus. That's what I'm saying. Like they didn't reveal the actual injury until they were eliminated. So we have Mm -hmm. no idea if this is a traditional knee sprain or if he actually has something torn again because he tore his meniscus last postseason. I know. And when it comes to Joel, it's just, you know, there's so much focus paid towards him because more than likely he's going to be the MVP this season. And we're going to have to see how he's going to be able to operate in that space in a limited capacity. You know, I know we'll talk about Jimmy being in a limited capacity too, but you know, with Joel, you know, there's the possibility of of him being able to play through this and play through it effectively. And Joel has been able to show that at times play through injury and still play at a high level. I mean, hell, you can even look back to Giannis. Giannis suffers a lower back injury against the heat, even though the bucks got eliminated in the first round. It wasn't because of, well, I guess you could say it was Giannis partially because he missed his free throws in game five. But Giannis was still largely effective from the field. He was still putting up 30-point performances despite... Yeah, but he was one of nine in the fourth quarter of game five. That was bad. Yeah, but based off of what we were expecting when he was coming back, I wasn't expecting him to put up over 30 points in both of those games. So the fact that we were looking at Giannis potentially missing the rest of the series with that lower back injury... And he goes out there and scores 30-plus points in both of those games when he returns. That's big. And we'll see whether or not that Joel could be able to show what Giannis was able to do to come back from his injury and be able to play at a high level. Just the difference with Joel is it's a knee. You know, Giannis had a lower back injury. Knees are tricky. And, you know, if he gets rolled up again, there's a very good chance that he could re-aggravate that knee injury. So I think if the 76ers are smart, they play it safe with Joel in game two. If he if he's ready to go, definitely put him out there on the court. But I wouldn't put him out there for 40-plus minutes. And depending on how that game goes, if Boston gets out to a, an early lead and they just maintain it throughout most of the third quarter, if they have a double-digit lead and it gets closer to 20, I think you just rest Joel in the fourth quarter and you get him ready for game three. But overall, it'll be very interesting to see how Joel responds if he actually plays in game two, which it is a possibility. So we have one more, well, two more games to really cover. But again, since I was kind of out and about yesterday, Kyle was really able to, I guess, absorb take a look at and just enjoy the Knicks and Heat's game or Knicks and Heat game. Uh, Kyle already looted Jimmy Butler exits and plays through uh, with an ankle injury. The, I guess the power shifted from half to half, whereas the Knicks were dominating in the first half. Miami made adjustments to where they were able to, I guess, capitalize on some of those miscues that the Knicks weren't able to catch or make their own adjustments. And Miami comes out with an upset in the first round, or should I say the first game of the second round. So, Kyle, to pivot this one your way, what are your thoughts on how the Heat made adjustments and what can they do to improve or continue that success in Game 2? Well, I was extremely impressed with 
essentially what you could say is a comeback from the Heat in game one. Because when I look back at that first half with the Knicks going up against the Heat, the Knicks played phenomenal. They were just destroying the Heat down low in the paint. And I will give credit to the Heat. I thought Eric Spolstra made some great adjustments going into the second half. They essentially formed a wall defensively to be able to limit the Knicks offensively from being as capable as they were in the paint in that second half because the first half they were just dominating the paint and even if you were to look at the box score you look at the difference in points in the paint from the heat compared to the knicks the knicks still dominated that statistic the knicks had 62 points in the paint compared to the miami's 38 points in the paint it's just from an efficiency standpoint the knicks definitely tapered off in the second half and the heat took advantage of it now when it comes to the heat you know jimmy butler was still effective i thought guys like caleb martin stepped up pretty big you could also look at guys like kyle lowry i think kyle lowry was probably one of the unsung heroes of this game simply just because after jimmy got rolled up in the fourth quarter uh, where he rolled his ankle kyle lowry essentially took that leadership role and made some critical plays down the stretch for Miami in pretty much that last, I would say, five minutes of the fourth quarter. And they definitely needed somebody to step up, and he was that guy because Jimmy was just, he was essentially just a sitting duck out there, uh, being pretty limited with that ankle roll. But overall, you know, you look at some of these role players, like Caleb Martin was able to knock down some critical shots in the fourth quarter. Kevin Love, I thought, was extremely effective in this game really just from his outlet passes. He had three or four outlet passes that were basically full court and got the Heat some decent buckets, especially in that second half. And, you know, despite the fact that Jimmy went down with the ankle injury, the Heat were able to lock down defensively against the Knicks. And the Knicks could have looked at what the Heat were dealing with, especially with Jimmy's injury. Man, there's blood in the water, and you could take advantage of that. And from the time that Jimmy rolled his ankle, Basically, to the end of the game, the Knicks really couldn't score. They were missing shots. They were turning the ball over. And nobody offensively could get into a rhythm. And this is one of those games where if you're looking at this from the Knicks, I think you missed Julius Randle's presence. And granted, I know that Julius Randle had a pretty rough first-round series uh, for New York and didn't play in this first game. I think that was something that was sorely missed in this first game, and we'll see whether or not that he becomes somewhat of a focal piece moving forward for the Knicks throughout the rest of the series. But going into game two, game two is really going to be dictated by, I would say two things. Can the Knicks be able to make some critical shots late in the game that they couldn't hit in game one? And we're going to see whether or not how effective Jimmy Butler is going to be for the rest of the series. Because as far as I see it, this ankle roll that Jimmy suffered. I think this is going to impact him the rest of the series. And even though I thought he was still effective, he was the leading scorer for the Heat in game one. He's probably going to be playing about 85% of what he's typically accustomed to. And I'm telling you right now, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and their role players like Duncan Robinson and guys like Max Struess, these guys are going to have to come up clutch if Jimmy's not what we've seen Jimmy be this entire playoff run so far, which is damn near unstoppable. I mean, that 
series against the Bucks, nobody could stop him. And, you know, knowing that he's going to be hurt for the rest of the series, it's going to be very interesting to see how this Game 2 plays out. But if I had to guess how this Game 2 is going to go, I'm actually going to favor the Knicks in this one. I think they tied this series at one game apiece uh, before this series transitions back to Miami for Game 3. I think they're going to look back at their fourth quarter miscues. They definitely turned the ball over way too many times in that game. And I think, you know, with Jimmy being limited in capacity for game two, I just don't believe the Heat are going to be able to score enough points against the Knicks in this one. I think the Knicks are getting off to an early start. But instead of what happened in game one, uh, they're going to learn from their mistakes. And they're going to be able to maintain a lead against the Heat and essentially keep that throughout the entirety of the game. Uh, you could definitely tell that they just they essentially fell apart late in the fourth quarter after Jimmy went down, and those were some missed opportunities uh, for the Knicks. So overall, I think the Knicks tied this series after Game 2, and we'll see what happens uh, going into uh, Game 3 when this uh, series transitions back to Miami. I'm definitely curious to see how the Knicks make adjustments. Um we all know that Eric Spolster is probably one of the best coaches in the NBA, especially when it comes to making adjustments, whether it's something quick, a substitution, a personnel change, or even just a defensive adjustment. And then you have somebody on the court who is a leader like Jimmy. Jimmy didn't need to go out there and score 30. Jimmy didn't need to go out there and score 40. And even though Jimmy was hurt, he still found a way to motivate and push his team to victory. Now, Kyle Lowry's been a veteran and has been in this league for a very long time. He has accepted his role off the bench, and he is somebody that is going to come out there and give you whatever it is that he's asked of. Now, in this particular instance, he didn't shoot as efficiently from the field as you would want, but he still goes out there and gives you eight and five. He had four blocks. That's one thing people need to understand. The Miami Heat have been playing very grueling, aggressive defense, and for your backup point card to go out there and give you four blocks, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's pretty significant that may not be mentioned on a regular basis. Now, I will criticize Duncan Robinson goes out there and just does some cardio because he had one assist and no points. That's got to change. If you want to go up 2-0 against the New York Knicks, you have to find a way to alleviate some of that pressure off of Jimmy Butler's shoulders. Now, Highsmith is somebody who doesn't get a lot of minutes, so that's not somebody I'm really going to be focused on. But when you talk about Caleb Martin hitting those timely shots, at the end of the day, he still found a way to only get you nine. But again, those nine points came in crunch time. So then you talk about Gabe Vincent, those 20 points, absolutely incredible. That needs to continue. Bam Adebayo finally goes for double digits on a consistent basis. He goes for 16 and eight. I'm going to need a little bit more from him just because again, you're a max contract player. You're arguably the second best player on this team right now with Tyler Hero being out. We're going to need some help here. And by we, I mean the Miami Heat are going to need some help to push this New York Knicks team, to push this New York Knicks team to the brink. We all know interior-wise, interior, interior wise, the Knicks have probably one of the better big men in the league. When Mitchell Robinson is healthy, we know that he is an offensive rebounding machine. We know that he is a great rim protector. We know he is someone that is going to adjust and alter shots. So Bam's got a tough matchup in front of him, but Bam's going to have to find a way to get him out of his comfort zone. And if that is the mid-range jump shot, if that is taking him outside on the perimeter and get him on that switch, pick and roll, who knows? We'll have to see what they have game planned. And then similar to what Kyle said, Kevin Love may have only gotten you nine points, but with his passing ability, him being a great rebounder, and of course him just overall stretching the floor at that four or five position, depending on the size of the lineup this Bolsher wants to run, I think that is going to be pivotal. 
But when you go into the Knicks situation, I mean, what else can you say, man? Barrett goes for 26. Brunson goes for 25. Toppin steps up without Randall goes for 18. It, it, the Knicks played well. It's just that bench did not do enough. We still have not had a burst from Emmanuel quickly. We still have not been able to see um, Josh Hart get into a good rhythm outside of that. Um, well, not not really outside, but we haven't seen him bounce back since that big game uh, against. Oh my goodness! I literally am forget Cleveland. There was that one game where he had like seventeen and ten. Um, we really need to see more of that from Josh Hart because I mean, at the end of the day, he still had eight rebounds, which is absolutely ludicrous that someone at the shooting guard position is going out there and giving you forty plus minutes and still rebounding the ball better than some damn centers, which is just crazy. Um, and then uh, Mitchell Robinson didn't have the greatest game offensively, but he doesn't need to do anything. He just needs to go out there and grab boards. He had 14 of them. So again, I think that this series does get tied up. I agree with Kyle. Depending on how limited Jimmy Butler is, it's going to be pretty clear and pretty clear early, should I say, because if he's hindered or if he's not knocking down those shots early, that could put Miami behind. And if you're going to put all the stress on Bam Adebayo to be the number one option, that is going to be a whole lot of pressure for somebody that hasn't been the number one option for a while. So, yeah, I got New York tying this series up. I wouldn't panic, but if Miami, for some reason, were to go up 2-0, I wouldn't be surprised because, again, Jimmy leads this team with his voice and his action and his presence. If he were to will this team to step up and say, I'm hurting, I'm going to need you guys to do a little bit more, I wouldn't be surprised. But, again, this is going to be another good series in the playoffs. Yeah, it's just for me, like when it comes to Miami, obviously – the viability of Jimmy Butler is paramount for not only this game, but for the rest of the series. And, you know, it was kind of like what I said earlier, Miami's medical staff is going to have to come up clutch here. No pun intended when it comes to how they are able to rehab Jimmy through this ankle injury, because Kev, if there's one thing that you and I both know about, it is ankle rolls and trust me, they are not pretty. So crazy. I, I didn't see any pictures about like any swelling on Jimmy's ankle. I imagine it's probably not a pretty picture, but for me, I know like I Kev, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think when NBA fans look at the injury report, they will look at an injury and they'll kind of assess it in their head based on if it's bad enough to where they miss the game or if it's something that they can play through and still be playing at a high level. I think when it comes to this ankle injury, this is going to be something that Jimmy's going to be dealing with for the rest of the series. And I think people, and this is something that I think you and I have to be kind of careful with when it comes to our assessment of Jimmy. Mm -hmm. If Jimmy plays subpar basketball, when he does return from this ankle injury, is it going to be because of this ankle? And I think people we we could look at each individual game and we could say, oh, well, Jimmy played a bad game. Well, yeah, no duh. You know, you're dealing with a pretty significant ankle roll. People kind of tend to forget that, especially when you're two, three games in. You know, sometimes these ankle injuries can, can last two to three weeks. And, you know, fortunately, I, I don't think Jimmy broke his ankle, even though that ankle roll looks pretty bad. But if he were to relatively struggle for the rest of the series, I don't think people should lose sight of that ankle injury. No, so, not at all. You know, and, and that's something that we'll have to monitor throughout the rest of the series. But overall, for me, when it comes to the Knicks, they got to bounce back. 
If they go down 2-0 in the series, I think it's a wrap. I'm not going to say that. I I will. I will. I mean, if they can't beat the Heat when Jimmy Butler is basically at 85%, knowing that, you know, there's blood in the water in that regard. For me, I I think that gives the Heat a lot of momentum to work with. But I think for me, everything comes down to this game too for the Knicks. Knowing that Jimmy's not going to be 100%, everybody knows it. The Knicks got to step up. And that's why I expect them to win game two. So they can't let this one slip. Because you go down 2-0 in this series with game three going back in Miami, I think Miami's going to have all the momentum in the world. Now, I think there's a chance that the Knicks could split one in Miami. But you don't want to be in a situation where you're potentially down 3-1 if you potentially lose this game two at home, because more than likely the heat are going to take one at home. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I I agree with that completely, but we got one more and it it went final a few minutes ago. The nuggets go up two to zero on the Phoenix suns led by Nikola Jokic going for 39 and 15. Mm -hmm. This man is just a, a machine. He is an animal. He is not human. I excuse me, thirty nine and sixteen. My apologies, Nicola. My bad, bro. What are you supposed to do against that man? Like, how are you supposed to guard that? How do you stop that? Chris Paul also left this game with a groin injury, by the way. So that's something to monitor as well for the series. But um, I mean, Kyle, I know we were recording, but in the times that I was able to kind of tune in and look between segments and what I was watching before we started recording. The Nuggets looked like they were in control of this game, man. Kevin Durant did not have himself a good game. Devin Booker, I think, goes for 30-plus. He went for 35. KD was 10 of 27 from the field, 2 of 12 from the three-point line. He goes for 24. Uh, I mean, Chris Paul had eight, but he left the game. And the bench of the Phoenix Suns, trash, four points. Can I actually say something here? So the Mavs were actually rumored to go after Terrence Ross in a buyout. And he chose to go to Phoenix. He's getting DMPs on a regular basis. So your bench is just completely inefficient. Your starters are starting to get burnt out. Chris Paul leaves this game. And you're going to tell me that you don't play Terrence Ross, the guy that you went out and sought out in the buyout market to take away from Dallas? What sense does that make? TJ Warren, again, another DMP. Like You have players that have proven to be scorers in this league, and you are giving Damon Lee 26 minutes to run around and do nothing. Like, I don't get... I can't believe Torrey Craig went out there and ran some cardio today, too. He had 11 minutes played with zero points, and that's somebody in the first round that was pivotal for the, the, uh, the Sun's success. You're putting all the pressure on KD and Booker. They played 45 and 44 minutes, respectively. What are you supposed to do with that? Like, I campaign, one of seven from the field in 17 minutes. Two points. People kept sleeping on Denver. People kept saying they weren't a true number one. People kept saying because they don't have postseason experience. I have said this a multitude of times. Kyle and I have bickered about this back and forth and made points. This is not on the shoulders of Nikola Jokic. He's doing what he needs to do. He averages damn near 30 points a game in his postseason career. This ain't got nothing to do with him because Jamal Murray had a horrible game today. Jamal Murray was 3 of 15 and 0 of 9 from 3. He had 10 points. Horrible. Michael Porter Jr., 5 points. Supermax contract player, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. Making almost the same money as Luka Doncic. Comical. Let's remember that. 
Then you got Aaron Gordon, who's played relatively well the last two games. He has 16 points. And then Caldavius Caldwell-Pope goes 5 of 6 in the field with 14 points. So Nikola carries this team, despite the inefficiencies of his running mate in Jamal Murray. And the Phoenix Suns just completely shit the bed. So now they head back to Phoenix down 0-2. You don't know the status of Chris Paul. Your bench can't really do anything. And KD just can't get into a rhythm this postseason. I think he's had one game this pro- this postseason where he's had 30, po- uh, 30 points. I'm actually going to look at game one first before I go and say that because I don't... Yeah, no, Kevin Durant had 29 last game. But Kyle, I, I, I got to ask, man, is Denver for real or is Phoenix sitting here struggling with the lack of depth? I think Denver is really just beating them across the board simply because, like you said, I I think when it comes to Phoenix's bench depth, Kev, that was something that we were talking about back in the Clippers series. And, you know, looking back at that Clippers series, Kev, I, I think the Suns got bailed out by Kawhi's injury. There's no doubt about that because, Kev, there were games where Kawhi was popping off and, you know, there were times where, you know, KD and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they were putting 40 plus minutes on the court and a large portion of the points. I think, I think at one point Phoenix's point totals were coming like 95% of the time from their starters. It really goes to show that their bench depth is essentially non-existent after trading for KD. And this is the double-edged sword that you get. Obviously when you bring someone in like Kevin Durant, you're going to have a primary score in your starter group. But when it comes to your bench depth, I mean, it's just not looking good. And one of the key aspects that I was looking at in this series in particular before it started was, would Phoenix get contributions from their bench? And as of right now, that is not the case. Four points from the bench in game two for the Suns, that's not going to cut it. And I don't really care whether or not that this series is transitioning back to Phoenix for game three. If you're not getting contributions from your bench where they're putting up somewhere around 20 to 30 points a game, this series is going to be wrapped up probably sooner than people expect. Because when you juxtapose that with the Nuggets, I mean, obviously when it comes to Nikola Jokic, he's their, le- he's their go-to guy. But at least they're getting some decent production from their bench. You know, granted, I know both teams are kind of running a tight ship when it comes to their rotations. Because, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, I think both teams are only really running about an eight-man rotation. I could be wrong on that, but it seems like it's a relatively tight ship yeah. that both teams are yeah. running with offensively mm-hmm. and defensively. So, you know, for me, you know, when it comes to Phoenix, Phoenix is relying so heavy on their starters to win these games for them. And if even some of them, like Kevin Durant or Chris Paul, slack off a little bit, the opposing team could take advantage of that. The Clippers did that at times, but unfortunately for them, they didn't have Paul George, and Kawhi got hurt. But you look at what the Nuggets have. Nicola's not hurt. Granted, Jamal Murray did not have a good game in Game 2. But it just looks like the Nuggets are a more cohesive unit. And I think it's going to serve them pretty well when this series does transition back to Phoenix. So, overall, you know, Phoenix being down 0-2 in the series, it's not over. Obviously, it would have been very nice for them to win one of these games on the road. But, you know, I think when it comes to Denver, I think people are slacking on Denver as this number one seed because 
I think the lack of playoff experience that these guys have had, don't get me wrong, like, you know, Denver has playoff experience, but you compare that to what uh, Phoenix has with Kevin Durant, who's a multiple-time NBA Finals champion. Uh, Devin Booker has been to an NBA Finals recently. They fell short uh, going up against the Bucks a couple years ago. And Chris Paul as well. But the fact that Denver's up 2-0 in the series, it doesn't surprise me in the least. And it mostly has to do with the fact that Denver's, I think, exposing what the Clippers were going to expose against Phoenix was Phoenix has no bench whatsoever. They can't rely on their bench to score. And it's going to have to primarily be the starters to get this team across the, uh, uh, really, you know, into the promised land as far as I see it. But overall, that's just not going to happen. It doesn't work no, that way. No, you need a well-balanced effort from your starters and your bench. Denver seems to have that pretty much on lock here. And Phoenix is still searching for it. If Phoenix needs to figure this out quick, fast and in a hurry, because there's a very good chance that Denver can win one of these road games in games three or four. And if that happens, Denver could wrap this up in five games, which would be a Low shock. You're going to say it, aren't you? Low-key, this could be a sweep unless Devin and KD average 40, like each, like for the next few games. I, I, I got you, no bench. You were you, you were exposed in the Clippers series on a multitude of games where each one came down to the wire despite you having a 10 times better roster. When Kawhi was available, he killed you. And Jamal Murray had a horrible game. Can you just, like, just think here for a second. In the first game, it was a blowout, right? You go and you look at the, the box score. Jamal goes for 34. Jokic goes for 24. Aaron Gordon goes for 23. Blowout, right? People are people are just playing at an all-time high. Then Nikola goes, you know what? My partner's running a little slow today. I got it. And they still had some depth on the bench. This is what happens when you trade away the kitchen sink and all the furniture in the living room to get Kevin Durant. Future, personnel, pick, whatever the case may be, if you have an opportunity to make your team better, to get a generational talent like Kevin Durant, I get it. You have to pull the trigger. The Suns are in win-now mode. You pair them with Devin Booker. Hopefully they can go for 60 to 70 points per game. But on nights like tonight where they cannot get it going, this is the issue. If you're going to sit here and not play your entire bench in hopes that Kevin comes out of this slump, or that Devin is going to go for 40 to 50 points. You have another thing coming, Monty. I know that Monty Williams is a better coach than this. I'm all for having faith in your vets, faith in your superstars. It's like I say with every single basketball game, and I say it with Luca all the time, if you don't got it going, you have to use yourself as a decoy to get others involved. If they keep missing, fine. Go back to taking all the shots. That's why you get paid all the big bucks. But if you are 10 of 24, if you are 8 of 29, whatever the, st the statistics are, and you just can't get a consistent shot to fall, I don't know what it is that they are looking for from Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. You got to make your teammates better. You got to get people involved. And I'm looking at the freaking statistics today. The Suns only shot five free throws. They shot at 19% from the three-point line. You're not going to win basketball games like that. And this was a grueling game. This was under 100 points. So, I mean, like they, both teams had their moments where they were ineffective because, if I'm not mistaken, Denver shot 25% from three. 
but they shot 21 free throws. So you give and you take, right? But if Phoenix don't turn this around, right, and I'm telling you, I, it has to happen. They, they got to average 70 to 80 points between the two of them and by Kevin Durant and uh, Devin Booker is what I mean by they. The rest of the bench ain't showing up. Campaign, two points, horrible. Not going to play um, uh, Terrence Ross and TJ. Then that's on you, bro. That's what you're expecting. That's what Monty wants. That's what the Suns fans want. And now that you are going to head to Phoenix, you better give them what they want because there's no reason why you should be down 2-0. This game was a lot closer, and your superstar shot you out of this game. And by superstars, I mean Kevin Durant. This is probably one of the worst games he's had in the playoffs in a while. And despite him actually still going out there and scoring 24 points, unacceptable. It's got to be better. And Monty's got to make adjustments because Phoenix legitimately, if they have another cold night, this is going to be a 4-0 sweep. I think Phoenix needs to give Denver just a different look, especially from their bench. I think you got to activate some some players coming off of this bench. You know, guys getting DMPs like, like Terrence Ross and, and TJ Warren. Got to give these guys some burn. You know, if if these guys coming off the bench are just not getting it done, and I think now like this becomes a situation where they have to kind of focus on that possibility because there's no guarantee that Chris Paul is going to play Game Three with that groin injury that he's sustained in Game Two, and if that's the case, you're going to have to rely on your depth, and the Suns have depth to work with at their disposal. It's just they have to make that choice to be able to get these guys integrated into the lineup. But, Gav, there's no guarantee that these guys are even going to be viable because they haven't gotten much burn in the playoffs that far, so far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to the Suns, this is very concerning, especially with their lack of bench production. I mean, granted, you know, Game 3 could be entirely diff- different. They could get back into a groove. You know, KD can hit some shots that he just failed to make in Game 2. You know, Dev, Dev's been cooking. Dev has been really the only consistency that I've seen from Phoenix so far. Uh, just because there have been times where, Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you, KD has looked out of rhythm. And it could just be that he's not fully integrated with what Phoenix is running simply because he's only been there for a couple months. But, you know, if Dev is not putting up 35 to 40 points consistently... The Phoenix would be in a lot more trouble than what they're in right now. The fact that they only lost this game by 10 points is kind of crazy. Bro, they had 56 shot attempts between the two of them, and they had 59 points. And Dev got the majority of them. That is horrific. Yeah. That's one point per shot, basically. That is Mm -hmm. awful. Yeah. That's not good. No, Phoenix has to do better. You do not make the trade for KD to lose in the second round and lose like this. Bro. Monty better sit there and he better chew them apart. And he better look himself in the mirror and say, I got to make some adjustments on my side too. So yeah, there's some things that need to change. And it's gonna if have not, to be a, it is what it is. It's going to have to be a team effort, not just from the player personnel, but the coaching personnel. They, they definitely need to give Denver a different look because Denver pretty much just ran through them through the first two games. Yep. You know they, and it goes. It goes to show, man. Jamal Murray didn't need to pop off. Nikola Jokic said, "Hey, as of right now, I'm still, I'm still a two-time MVP." It's like I got you. I'm here for this, and he wants to eliminate that narrative that Denver is not a playoff contending team that can go far. So we will see what happens. Yeah, we still have some some good playoff basketball to go. Game three is going to be everything for Phoenix. They lose that one, Kev. I. It's a wrap. I think it's over. 
Don't even play Devin and KD, bro. Let them go into the offseason. At that point, 3-0. At the it's end of the day, even if you get one, you're going back to the mile high. Come on. Yeah. It's wrap. It's yeah, 100%. But no, I mean, Kev, we're, we've pretty much covered everything that we had to cover. Like I said at the top, these second-round playoff matchups are full in swing. Uh, and um, we'll see how they play out. Granted, uh, when we record... Yeah, we recorded on Wednesday because I have Wednesday off. Yeah, probably. I mean, it really depends because obviously, if there's not too much, we might do segments if anything because these playoff games are so scattered because of the travel days. Because now game threes are happening, so there may not be too much. So we'll see. we'll play it by ear, guys. We'll yeah. keep you guys abreast. But nonetheless, we'll definitely keep you guys uh, in the loop when it comes to what we're gonna post. Um, obviously, like I say in every episode, I know Kev's gonna say the same thing. We definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, whether that's watching us on YouTube, listening to us on the audio platforms, or seeing us on IG or TikTok, we definitely appreciate the support. Um, we'll definitely have more content for you guys rolling throughout the week, so definitely stay tuned for that. Kev, I've got nothing more to add here. The floor is yours to close this one out, bro. All right. Well, guys, by the time you hear this, is Tuesday, so hopefully everybody has an incredible week, and we will see you guys soon. Take it easy, guys. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all